Merry Christmas and welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Last week, we started a new Christmas series called The Gift. Pastor Nicole is examining the significance of each of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. What was so important about the frankincense, myrrh, and gold? Why did the wise men bring those gifts? Last time, we saw that frankincense symbolized Jesus' status as our high priest. Jesus came to restore the intimacy between God and each of us, to overcome our sin and bring us into a loving relationship with God. Today, Pastor Nicole will look at the gift of myrrh. We'll see the powerful message that the gift of myrrh meant both for Jesus himself and for us today. So let's get started and continue our series, The Gift. Here's Pastor Nicole. We are preparing um, for this season of Christmas, preparing our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we're calling this series, The Gift. And we're looking at the account in scripture of the Magi or the wise men. And last week, um, I maybe like blew up your version of Christmas and we talked about how many uh, wise men there were, how we don't actually know that there are three. Um, the scripture doesn't specify, so there could have been six or 12 or, I don't know, 25. But another thing that we often don't take into account is in that time period, there wasn't, you know, airplanes, right, or trains or any uh, modes of transportation that were quick. So by the time the wise men traveled the distance, um, Jesus was very likely not even an infant. So most scholars believe uh, that Jesus was probably over a year old, maybe 18 months old, perhaps even older. And so this changes the scene a little bit, doesn't it? When we start thinking about what it could have looked like when we, all the nativity sets that we put up, we think of this little tiny baby Jesus. Now, certainly at one point, Jesus was a very little tiny baby, but by the time uh, the wise men came offering gifts and bowing down, Jesus was probably even a toddler. All right, I'm not going to like ruin your Christmas anymore, but that's, <laughs> those are some of the historical facts. Now, there is one account of the three wise men that I think po possibly could be maybe the most accurate. Watch it today. We three kings of Orient are Still proceeding, guys. 
don't know. Somebody needs to do more claymation because that was epic. All right, let me read to you from Matthew 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born of the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the Magi gave Jesus three gifts. Last week we talked about frankincense and how that symbolizes that Jesus would be and is our great high priest. Next week, we're going to talk about gold. But today, I want to talk about the gift of myrrh and what is the deeper meaning in this gift. So myrrh um, is actually a really valuable, sticky, almost gummy-like substance. It's mentioned 17 times in the Bible. And myrrh was known as an ingredient used to embalm the dead. So because of this, scholars believe that this gift of myrrh represents and foreshadows Jesus as the suffering servant or the Lamb of God who was born to die for the forgiveness of sin. I think it's interesting that even at Jesus' birth, one of the first gifts he receives is one that would predict his death. I wonder what Mary thought. Like when when the Magi gave the family myrrh, I wonder if she thought, well, this is a very strange gift for the start of a life. This is usually something you get later in life when you know your life is about to end and you're going to need it at the end. I wonder if on the day she stood at the cross and watched Jesus die, if she thought back from, to that moment and thought, oh my goodness, the Magi gave me this. Like, like God knew, even from the start of Jesus' life, that he would be the Savior of the world and that he would be born to die. You know, in the mid-1900s, there was a science professor named Peter Stoner, and he published a book called Science Speaks. Peter Stoner um, chose just eight prophecies of Jesus, eight things that were written down about Jesus uh, in the Old Testament before he came to earth. And these were the eight. He said um, Christ was going to be born in Bethlehem, Christ would be preceded by a messenger who was John the Baptist. Um, Christ would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Christ would be betrayed by a friend. Christ would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The money for which Christ was sold would be thrown to the potter in God's house. Christ would be silent before his accusers. And Christ would be executed by crucifixion like a thief. And Peter Stoner found that the chances any man might have fulfilled all eight of these prophecies is one with 17 zeros behind it. This is the chance that any one person could fulfill all eight of these prophecies. Uh, You say it like this, 100 quintillion is the chance. Stoner puts it in these terms. He gives an example. Let's say it were possible to um, attain 100 quintillion silver dollar coins. Ooh, I have one in my pocket right now. Let's say that you could find 100 quintillion of these. 
He said that it would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. That's how many silver dollars that would be. That's a massive amount. And let's say you marked just one of these silver dollars with an X. And then you blindfolded a man, put him in a helicopter, flew him over the state of Texas, and said, when you say go, I'll let you jump out. And then when the man jumped out, he picked up on the first try one silver dollar. And that was the silver dollar with the X on it. That would be the chance of a man picking one marked coin in the entire state of Texas, the same chance that any one man from the time of the prophets to modern times would fulfill the eight messianic prophecies I just mentioned. Say wow to someone next to you. Wow. Like kind of unbelievable, right? Hard to even comprehend. Okay, let me blow your mind a little more this morning. Stoner didn't stop with those eight prophecies. He branches out and he considers eight more Old Testament prophecies, 16 total, for telling Jesus' life. And he says the chances of that happening is one with 45 zeros following it. I can't even like say that number, just that one, okay? That really big long one. And Peter Stoner, again, kind of gives this silver dollar analogy, but this time he says, it's not just Texas, this would be the number of silver dollars that would have to cover the entire globe. Now imagine blindfolding a man, telling him to pick one silver dollar from the entire globe. Would you ever expect he could choose the marked one the very first time? Impossible, right? Impossible. And this is the idea of any one person fulfilling just 16 of the prophecies written about Jesus hundreds of years before his birth. But let me tell you something so amazing. The God who loves you and the God who loves me, the child in the manger who received the gift from the Magi, didn't just fulfill 16 prophecies. He fulfilled over 300 300 prophecies penned by different men in different languages from various countries, written over hundreds of years, all fulfilled in one man, our King Jesus, the suffering servant, the great high priest, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that's who fulfilled this prophecy. Proverbs 30, verse five, commit this one to memory. It says, every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. God is more reliable than the sun that rises every morning. And our creator has left us his undeniable fingerprints for us to know that he is God. I want to look at one, just one of those prophecies that, that Peter Stoner wrote about this morning, and it's from Isaiah 53. It's in the Old Testament. This was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah is inspired to write a detailed account of what would happen to Jesus, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, the one who was born to die for the forgiveness of our sin, and in this particular passage, these are just some of those prophecies I was telling you about that fulfilled, uh, that fulfilled in Jesus. So let's read it. Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed, and we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I love verse 6. It says, all of us are like sheep who have been strayed away. If you are a living, breathing human being today, I want to tell you, you have a problem. You might be like, oh, pastor, you don't even know. But you have a problem that you might not even be aware of yet, but you are wayward. You tend to wander. Your selfish heart leads you in the wrong direction sometimes. If you are left to make all the decisions about your life on your own, you're going to make some wrong ones. You're going to go in the wrong direction sometimes. Every single one of us sin against God. Romans 3.23 corroborates this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a problem. I have a problem. You have a problem. We have big problems. And Jesus, the suffering servant, is the solution to our problem. And not just the solution, the only solution. The Lord Jesus took all of your sins and my sins upon himself. You know, I think sometimes we look at the baby Jesus in the Christmas scene and we forget who Jesus grows up to become. We forget what that baby does for each of us. 33 years later, we forget the very purpose of his life was actually to die. And that's what the Magi is is prophetically saying when they give this myrrh to the child, that Christmas is about the baby Jesus, but it's also about the suffering servant Jesus. The wise men prophetically gave this child myrrh intended for his burial someday. But they were not aware of the full picture because that little baby would become Jesus crucified on the cross and savior of the world. You know, in the gospels, it accounts for the path of Jesus, the suffering servant. And I want us today to look at these scriptures to remember who Jesus grew up to be. At Christmas, we remember him as a baby, but the Magi reminds us there is so much more to his life than just this moment in the the nativity scene. And so I want to start in um, Luke 22, in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. We're talking about Jesus here. He knelt down and prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This was the place in the garden where Jesus wrestled with God when he got a glimpse of the suffering that was to come. And he says to his disciples, hey, 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 you guys just wait and watch and pray. Pray for me. And uh, I'm going to go over here and pray. And when he comes back, his friends are asleep. And so all alone, he cries out to God knowing what is to come. And he says, God, is there any other way? Would you you remove this cup of suffering from me? Is there any other way? And then as if uh, inside of him, he realizes there is no other way, he falls to the ground and blood drips from his brow. 
the medical term is the word hemosiderosis. It's, it's something you experience under extreme trauma when your capillaries burst and blood is mingled in with your sweat. And then he falls to the ground and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's how bad it was. But then he declares faithfully, yet, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Then we see in Matthew 26, verses 47 through 50, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and elders of the people. And now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. And then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And so here we see Jesus betrayed with a kiss. He's arrested falsely accused, unfairly tried, sentenced to death by crucifixion. As we continue to read the Gospels, he would be stripped naked, publicly exposed, feeling humiliated and ashamed. Then they would put the crown of thorns on his head. There were one and a half or two inch thorns that would go into his brow, mocking who he is. And then the beating would start. And again and again and again, they would whip him across the back. And wearing a a signet ring, they would punch him in the face. And they'd take the clubs and they'd pound it across his head and they would bury the thorns deeper into his brow. And, And Isaiah implies they would pull out his beard. And he was so disfigured that he wasn't even recognizable. And John Uh, 1917, it says this, so the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And so after all of this trauma and beating and unfair and unjust treatment with absolutely nobody coming to his aid, all the people he helped and all the people he healed and all the people he, he was there for, no one speaking up for him. Weak and suffering and alone, they give Jesus the cross. It weighed 100 pounds, and they forced him to carry it 650 yards on a path known as the way of suffering. And he would take this cross to Golgotha to be crucified on it. They would take the nails, seven inches or so in length, and they would, they would drill them. They would drive them into his wrists and through his feet, and they would hang him on the cross And the only way he could breathe is to pull himself up with the wrists full of nails, push himself up on his feet, trying to catch a breath. But it wouldn't be long before his shoulders would be dislocated and his legs would give out. And he was just slowly, slowly, slowly unable to catch a breath, hanging under the heat of the day, shamefully, nakedly exposed. And then perhaps one of the most agonizing moments of all, we read in Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, 
Ila, Ila, Lama, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the innocent one, the one who had never sinned, bore the sins of the whole world. He became everything vile and filthy and unholy. He became that He became those things, and God in his righteousness and holiness would not look upon that sin, and God himself would look away. And for the first time and the last, the intimate fellowship Jesus had always known with his father is broken, and in probably the most agonizing moment of his life, he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you pulled away? Why aren't you here with me? Why have you forsaken me? And Jesus gives his life for the forgiveness of our sin. And 700 years before this ever took place, Isaiah prophetically declares what this child would endure on behalf of our sinfulness. I want to read to you again from Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And the Magi would believe Isaiah's words. And shortly after Jesus was born, would bring him myrrh because they believed the word of God was true. And they believed that he would be the savior of the world. And the substance used to embalm the dead someday became the lamb of God would be slain for the sins of the world. And it was our sins and sorrows that weighed him down. It was our troubles that he was punished for. He was pierced for our transgressions and rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten and whipped so we could be healed. Christmas is about the baby Jesus, but Christmas is also about the suffering servant Jesus. And when we can understand the magnitude of his suffering and the depth of his love, We don't casually say anymore, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church when I get there. I guess I pray over my food most of the time. Jesus is a good story at Christmas. I I put him in my yard in the nativity set, and I I make sure I get to church uh, for Christmas because that's like tradition. No, 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 no. When, When we understand what Christ did for us, this incredibly powerful declaration of divine love, the only reasonable response is to wholly, completely follow him and give up your whole life to him. Because how many kings would give up their thrones to suffer and die for you and for me?
you're here today and you feel like you have a pretty good understanding of the baby Jesus, but you've never known Christ as the suffering servant, I want you to consider what he did for you on the cross. If you believe he died on the cross for you and you want to give him your life this Christmas season, I want to just invite you to these prayer tables to my right and to my left before you leave today. We just want to pray with you. We want to help you understand not just baby Jesus, but the suffering servant Jesus. If you're here today with a, a need, a wound, he was pierced for our transgressions. He, by his stripes, we're healed. Come get prayer for that at the tables too because Jesus already did the work and we need to just ask him for what he offered. So will you pray with me today? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for suffering for us. Thank you for giving up your own life for our sin. Thank you, God, that you loved us so much, that you died on a cross as an innocent man, suffering every pain imaginable. This Christmas, we're just so grateful. God, we thank you that you sent your son to die for us. And we pray we won't lose sight of that this Christmas season. God, it's in your strong and redemptive name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we'll see you next Sunday to talk about the gift of gold to Jesus. Enjoy your week. Make sure you get prayer before you leave. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.